And so this morning we are going to continue with that in Luke chapter 5, um, as we've been, we've been walking through it. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, read our questions that they, as they are already on, our, on the screen, ready to go uh, for you. <clears throat> so question number one, who can fix what we have messed up by our sin, and how should we consider this question? That sounds a little confusing, but I think you'll, you'll get it as we uh, get through the passage this morning. Question number two, what is our most fundamental need and why? What difference does it make to the way you look at your day today to know that your greatest need, ha- need has, if you are trusting in Christ, already been met? Now that's a long one. They'll be up on the screen for a little bit so that you can catch those. So Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning, uh, starting in verse 17. We'll go through 17 through 26. We'll read it in, in just a moment. Um, our passage this morning, sort of like the ones we've had before, uh, but it, it really builds to a, 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 a climax in, in the text. It, it builds to, a, uh, to where uh, there's this, this tension. And, and one of the ways that I, I kind of wanted to illustrate this is, you, you know how when you, um, you walk outside and, and you just kind of see this big thunderhead rolling in, and, and you're like, wow, there's a storm coming. And then maybe like 15 minutes later, the, the winds, the breeze kind of picks up and the temperature change and you can feel the humidity just get like sucked out of the atmosphere. And, and you just know something bad's going to happen. Like we know that this bad thunderstorm is going to hit when, you, when that temperature changes that quick and the breeze comes in and changes things and sucks all the humidity out. We know something's going to happen, right? Um, when, when, I was, uh, uh, when I was a kid... Uh, we, as, fa- as a family, what we would do for uh, uh, vacations for a few years, we would go on boat trips. And we had a big enough boat where, where our whole family, not comfortably, but we would be able to sleep in the cabin and, and we would go to different marinas throughout Florida and stuff like that that we can, you know, powerboat to for in a couple hours. And, and so we were coming back from one of those trips and, and that, that, that little scenario I explained to you about the storm rolling in, was was happening and and we've had it happen before it's not the first time but but this one was 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 unique i mean being in florida there's storms all the time particularly in the summer and 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 this particular storm i remember was coming in so quick and so fast and it was getting so bad that uh as a kid the first time ever i remember my parents actually forcing us to put on life jackets like you got to put on life jackets i was like i don't have to swim Sucker, you're going to be obedient. You're going to put your life jacket on. And, and then they put us in the cabin. They took all of us kids, and they, they, they put us in the cabin with life jackets on. And I remember watching my dad put on gloves because, you know, the, 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 elect, the static electricity just got so high over the water because of this storm and the temperature changes that, that came in. He was holding gloves because he's holding on to a stainless steel steering wheel, right? We're so afraid he was, the boat was going to get struck by... Uh, struck by lightning. Um, also, I remember that uh, af- uh, during that time that we, we had to seek shelter. We couldn't outrun the storm anymore. And there was nowhere to, you know, just to go dock or anything like that. So we had to tie off underneath a bridge. First time we've ever done that. Never done that before. Right? You, bridge, you just go right through. No problem. We're on the river. right? We're on one, the Indian River. And, and we had to tie off to the bridge. And I remember my parents telling me that we had to tie off there 
under the bridge for protection because they were afraid of water spouts hitting us. Now, if you don't know what a water spout is, it's like a Sharknado without sharks. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's like a tornado on the water. And, and I just remember that being a real frightful experience. When you see the demeanor on your parents change, it's a frightful thing. Uh, and, and, and that's the kind of tension you kind of see in this text where there's this buildup and it kind of escalates at a, at a step at a time where you're just kind of waiting for, the, for that lightning bolt to strike because of that, uh, that static electricity that is, that is build, building up. And that's what's brewing in the house today that we're going to see in, in our passage. So let's look at Luke chapter 5 and, and let's look together at verse 17 and we're going to read together through verse 26. Verse 17, everybody there? Everybody there, okay. Verse 17, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were asking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus perceived their thoughts. He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and he, picked up, and he picked up what he had been laying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Praise the Lord for his word. Now our passage this morning, as we, we see the, the healing of the paralytic in this home, and you can, I hope you were able to see that, that escalation kind of build there in the, in, the, in the room. Our passage this morning relates real closely with our passage last week of the, the cleansing of the leper, right? The leper who was full of leprosy, who, who came to Jesus and begged that he would forgive, or not forgive, that he would be cleansed. And he didn't ask, if you can heal me. He said, if you will. If you will, you could heal me. And, and the Lord uh, cleanses him uh, of, his, of, his, of his disease. And this passage from last week is closely related to uh, this week because both of these passages, I think, are uh, tell of the miracle and then give us an explanation of why Jesus did what he did. Why he cleansed him. Why he... Why he healed him. And we see the same thing here in uh, our passage this morning of how Jesus forgives and heals the paralytic in verses 17 through 20. And he explains to us why he did that in verses 21 through 26. Yet here's what I don't want you to miss this morning from our passage. 
So just kind of that's kind of the, the trigger, by the way, of oh, this is the this is the purpose. Here it is. That at the heart of our text, just like we saw last week, this week, the heart of our passage this morning is not the miracle of healing. That's not at the heart of the passage. It's an amazing work and it shows the authority of Christ over, over life and death and over disease. But at the heart of this passage this morning is Jesus' authority to forgive sins. That's the heart of the passage. And you don't want to miss that. We see this at verse 24, right? Verse 24 makes it completely clear for us that this is the purpose of our passage. So a question then comes to us in light of this idea of the forgiveness of sins. And I think the question that we need to deal with is who can fix, who alone could fix the mess that we have made ourselves? The mess that we have made ourselves through sin and by sin. Who can fix it? Who can fix what has been messed up by sin? I guarantee if I were to ask every one of you in this room, 99% of us, we would have the right answer to that. We, we, would, we would throw out the Sunday school answers. God, more specifically, Jesus. And, and, and you, would be, you would be right. You would be very right. But I think Luke is not just asking us for what is the right answer. He's not asking for those who know it in their minds so that they can spout it off and get the right answer. But rather, we are intended to engage that question and engage this text in such a way like like I think Luke is wanting us to do, so that we would think really, really hard about what that answer is. Not just knowing that right answer, but knowing the one behind that answer. Because just like how we saw last week with the leper, we're going to see that with the paralytic. The answer to that question will not really matter until you can answer it like they did. They answered it with desperation. They answered it in in brokenness. They answered it in faith. They answered it in looking to the only one that they can have hope. Knowing that Jesus is the only one who could offer forgiveness. So let's unpack this text this morning together. And let's see how Luke answers this question for us and how we're to think about it. So the setting of our passage, starting in verse 17, tells us, once again, we're in another house. Mark, uh, Mark actually tells us that we're back in Capernaum. Luke doesn't really mess with too many of those details. But Luke, unlike Matthew and Mark, tell us very specifically from the onset who shows up. Right? Not just the people of Capernaum that want to hear Jesus teach, but there's a whole other group that shows up. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's our first time seeing these guys. Right? We, we know who these guys are. These are the, these are the guys in, in Israel who are, who are highly skilled. They were, the, they were the professionals. They were the professional theologians. They were the professional teachers. They were the who's who's. They were the ones who, in that crowded house, guess what? They got the seat. They didn't have to stand up outside. They got to sit right in front of Jesus. And so as Jesus became a, was becoming more and more of a celebrity, these guys showed up to, in a sense, investigate Jesus. Who is this guy? 
What is he doing? What is he teaching? And so we see their demeanor, we see their posture and how they ask the questions to themselves. They don't ask the question directly to Jesus, but they ask these questions in of, them, of, of themselves that they are there with the demeanor, not to honestly take an a, a unprejudiced look at Jesus, but they stood there eager to find something wrong with him. They wanted to know and find out what's wrong with this guy. What can we hold against him? What can we disqualify him with? And this is what I meant by that tension. Because this is what these guys are doing. They're standing there, staring at Jesus, waiting for him to slip up, waiting for him to, to mess up and say something where they could they can discount him. So that's the potential volatile situation that we, we find this morning in our text. Now what happens... What we see happen, though, is, is not necessarily at first with, with the interaction between Jesus and the, and the Pharisees. And there will be those direct confrontations, but there's something that happens that brings that about. Right? So, so what happens is, in verses 18 and 19, there's this awkward disturbance that comes from the ceiling of the house. Right? And, and you can tell that it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an awkward disturbance because Luke says, and behold... Something's happening. It's kind of like, you guys know, sometimes here, you know, we, we hear kids beating on the door out there, or, or sometimes if we leave the, that open, you know, someone walks by, or how about when the fire trucks and police cars and everything went by, right? Like a disturbance. There's something that takes place that, that everybody's like, what the heck? And, of course, that, you know, we probably were all wondering, I wonder what happened, what's going on? Same thing, right? They're, Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees are sitting down looking at Jesus, waiting for him to mess up, and there's other people there too, and, and all of a sudden, there's, some, there's beating going on on the roof, there's shovels and pickaxes hitting the ceiling of the, of the roof, there's dust falling on top of them, and Jesus just keeps teaching away. And Jesus just keeps teaching away. Right? Can you imagine, imagine the sight there? Um, and these four guys... They bring their buddy, they take him to the roof, and they start clearing out this roof. Now, for us, it would be weird for people to go to a, to a roof, right, to our houses. Um, we would call the cops. But, but in those days, there was always ladders to get to, this, to their roofs. They used the roof as kind of their front porch, where they would hang their clothes. Well, you wouldn't hang your clothes in the front porch, but your backyard, maybe. They, they even had a place where they could hang their clothes, they can do laundry, they can get things with the sun, heat water up, and, and stuff like that. And so there was already a place for them to climb up. And, and they, were, they, they busted through this, this roof that was, that was made of, of mud and sticks, and it was all layered together. And it was a job, right? So the, uh, um, there's, there's the thought that, it's, that it could be upwards of two feet thick to keep it, to keep it, it sealed and to keep, it, uh, um, to keep the house dry if it, if it rained. So you imagine that, right? I mean, two feet thick, they're beating through this thing, and, and the Pharisees, of course, in their righteous indignation, standing there, how can he let people do this? Or whatever else they were thinking. We don't know what they were thinking. But sitting there probably with their hands crossed and, and their arms crossed. Um, and here it is. These guys taking their friend who's been paralyzed. Plan A was to go straight in the door, two packed. Plan B was to ask someone to help them. Plan C or D was to get him on the roof. They did whatever it took to get this guy to, 
to the roof to, to get him to Jesus. And finally, the, the roof opens up. They're able to bust through. I mean, what a crazy sight. I mean, what a crazy sight. And before the Pharisees could yell, before anybody could yell, they look up to see what's going on, and here comes this dude layered down, lowered down on a, on a mat in front of Jesus. What a mess. But what example of love that these friends had for their friend. Believe it or not, as great as that sounds, that's not the point of our passage either. Right? We could point, preach about, oh, we should be good friends and care for one another. And there's, I think there's some implications there and care and to love. But look where it, where it, it builds up. Look, look, where, look where it builds up. Well, let me just say this real quick about, about, these, about these guys. You know, I was, I was thinking about these guys all week. I was thinking about these guys, that, how, that, how uh, they, they had a mission. They needed to see Jesus. They needed to get their friend to Jesus. It was, he was his last hope. They were desperate, just like we saw in, in the leopard. And I, I've, been, I've been thinking about this, this, um, this all week. And, and it was not hard for me to make the, the, the parallel to the images that we've been seeing on the media uh, from the devastation in, in, in Houston, from, from the storm last, uh, last week. I mean, estimates, I heard yesterday, and you know it's an estimate, who knows, but somewhere around like 130,000 homes flooded. 130,000, that's well more than Statesboro. 130,000 homes uh, flooded, countless lives lost and still trying to, to figure these things out. But in the midst of that devastation, in the midst of that, that hurt, in the midst of such pain, what did we see that was just all-inspiring? Images of sacrifice, images of, of giving of, of oneself to serve uh, someone other. other. So, thousands of people all over our country just felt the need to hop in their trucks and hook their boats up and drive and do whatever they could to help, help people. The stories are, are just amazing. Come with supplies. They're still, they're still going there. Um, amazing, amazing things. And that's what I thought this week, and I was thinking about these friends, just doing whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And like I said, as amazing that story is, I think there's, there's more to this purpose, more to this story than, than the, the sacrifice of, of these guys. We're meant to see Jesus and see his forgiveness, which is what our passages lead us now to in verses 21, or 20 and 21. So how does Jesus respond to these guys? Right? These guys who, in a sense, have has kind of ruined their church service. Right? The ceiling tiles fell in, and, and here comes this guy lowered. Jesus doesn't respond in anger. He's not annoyed by the interruption. He doesn't just heal the guy and says, go on your way. No. Jesus instead says in the passage, Jesus instead says when he, when he sees their faith, and, and I think presumably it's not just the faith of the guy on the mat, but it's the faith of all five of the guys that are involved. When he, when he sees their faith, I mean, he can, I, I can just imagine the compassion and the smile of the Savior is just like, Dude, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of faith that will go anywhere to get to me. And he looks at this guy on the mat and he says, Man, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, now Jesus knows. 
Jesus knows that this is going to cause the lightning strike for the Pharisees. He, he knows what's going to happen. He knows these guys are there trying to pin something on him so that they can get rid of him. And Jesus offers this guy forgiveness of sins. Amazing. So why did he do that? Why did he do that? You, you know, it seems to me, right, seems to me, that, that if he would have just healed the guy and, and moved on in teaching, teaching and maybe even just miraculously fixed the poor guy's roof, that, that maybe the Pharisees would have been on his side. Would have been just like, maybe he is a good teacher and he's a good prophet and we'll eventually move into the Son of God thing later or the Son of Man thing later. But that's not what Jesus does. And here's the reason why I think he does this. Number one, is I think first and foremost, this paralytic, this paralyzed guy, he needed to hear first and foremost, not that be healed, but he needed to hear your sins are forgiven. That he needed to hear that his sins are forgiven. Now, we don't know this guy's situation, so I'm not, I don't want to presume that I know what's going on here. I'm not adding to the text. I don't want to do that. But I also want to say that there are sometimes paralyzing, physically paralyzing stress and fear that can cause on a person that almost paralyzes someone physically. Not almost, it does. Sin is devastating. It's, it's, it's devastating. We, we all know that because of sin, death and disease and pain and suffering is connected with sin and connected with the, with the fallen world. And us, of all people, we should, we should know and not be surprised of the present reality of living in a fallen world. We know that this is a fallen world. Houston should not surprise us. We know we live in a fallen world and there are real physical consequences to the fall. Even earthly disasters. But we also know that in some cases with the individual suffering and individual pain can be absolutely directly connected to sin. There are consequences to our sin. Um, I have the, 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 I think I'll put it up here, Psalm 32. This is David. Listen to this. He said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Amen. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, for when I was walking in sin, when I, when I kept silent, what was it? My bones wasted. That sounds like paralyzing to me, doesn't it? I, and, I, and my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For a day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. Boy, we know that. Sin has its effects, has its consequences. Now, I'm not presuming that this is the effect of this guy, but I, I think in some manner and effect, this, this guy needed to hear, to be forgiven of his sin first and foremost before he was healed. And the second reason, the second reason is I think because Jesus is exposing the Pharisees and the teachers for the first time, or at least in the Gospel of Luke for the first time, to confront them of their, law, of their unbelief, to confront them of their misunderstanding of the Bible and of the Scripture. 
to expose their hardness of heart and to show him, show them again his deity, that he is the Son of God. So Jesus now offers a reply to these guys. Because these guys, they, they question in their hearts, who is this guy who, who's blaspheming God? Who alone can forgive sins but God? I love that. Jesus, Jesus knowing their thoughts. I, I love that. He's just not going to let you get away with it. And he, and he answers he answers this. Knowing their thoughts. Verse 24 tells us that Jesus wants us to know. He wants them to know. He wants those who are in the room. He wants us to know that he alone has the authority to forgive sins. And then he offers the proof that they can't deny, doesn't he? He offers a proof that they, that they absolutely can't deny by healing the paralyzed man. Right? And we, we see the little argument there that, that Jesus is making. He's like, so what's, what's easier? What's easier for me to do? To, to say out loud, your sins are forgiven, which, which cannot be observed empirically. Like we, can't, we can't observe that. You can't see it. We can proclaim it all day, all day long. But Jesus says, I'm going to prove that, that I can do that by what? By healing this guy. I'm going to show you that not only do I have the authority to forgive sins, but I have the authority to heal, which proves that I can forgive sins. So he tells this guy to rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what is it? What happens? What, what happens to this guy on his mat? He stands up. I mean, instantly. It says that he immediately stood up. And he, and he picked up his mat, the, the, the mat that was used to, to carry him in. Jesus heals him in a way where he now picks up that mat and he walks out. And he walks out glorifying God. What tension, like what tension Jesus got to build there? Because he's proving. Jesus is so saying to these guys that I am either legit, I am the Son of God, or I am, or I am of the flesh, and I am a blasphemer. I am either, I am either, I, I am either God, or I am a blasphemer. And he picked up his mat and he walked out. And the truth of who Jesus was was inescapable. And God gets the glory, doesn't he? I love that. For, for those who have the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, that day God received the glory. I, I like what uh, Spurgeon said in, re, in, in recalling this, uh, this verse here, or this, uh, um, this passage. He says, in, in, in these guys giving glory, he says, I think I see him. Right, The guy's looking down from the roof at his buddy. He, he sets one foot down to God's glory. He plants the other to the same note. He walks to God's glory. He carries his bed to God's glory. He moves his whole body to God's glory. He speaks, he shouts, he sings, he leaps to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. <laughs> what an amazing sight. The singing, the dancing, the, the excitement of seeing their friend not only healed but forgiven. He went home with a clean heart that day, not just with an extra mat to not know what to do with. He went home with a clean heart, and they rejoiced in God. They glorified God. Because you know, his body, 
His body would one day wither again, wouldn't it? He would get old, and it would become faulty and frail again. But there was something now about him that would never wither away, and that is the newness of his soul because of the forgiveness that Jesus gave him. Forgiveness that was everlasting. So from our passage this morning, I want to, I want to show you three things that I think are important. I wouldn't share it with you. Three things. Number one, I want us to see that first, the core of Jesus' ministry is about the forgiveness of sins. The core of Jesus' ministry is about the forgiveness of sins, which in turn shows us that fundamentally our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins. Right? There it is. I think that may be one of your questions. Is that one of your questions? Fundamentally, our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins. Number two, Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive sins. Right? And there that's, boom. Jesus has power and authority to forgive sins. We see that implicit in our passage this morning. It's the point. That's what verse 24 is all about. We'll talk about it in a second. Number three, Jesus has the power and authority to forgive sins because he is the Son of Man, the Messiah, God in the flesh. Number three, he, is, he has the power and the authority to forgive sins because he is the Son of Man, the Messiah, God in the flesh. All right, so dealing with this first question, the core part of Jesus' ministry is about the forgiveness of sins, which shows that our fundamental need is the forgiveness of our sins. There's one thing that this passage truly shows us. is It shows our great need for forgiveness. Right? So Jesus forgives this guy first and foremost, right? He shows not only was that his first and greatest need because of the effects of sin, but it shows that it is, it is all of humanity's greatest need. It's the reason why Jesus came. It is the singular reason why Jesus came for the forgiveness of sins. Not just to heal physically. Not just to provide for people's needs. Not to solve people's problems. But to bring the forgiveness of sins. Physical needs are important. And praise the Lord, Jesus and compassion and mercy meets so many of those needs. And we're going to see those over and over as we walk through the Gospel of Luke. But physical needs, they're important. But is it worth gaining perfect health? Every need met? Every want fulfilled? Every desire given to gain the whole world but lose your soul? There is no deeper or greater need that we all have in this world than the need to be forgiven of our sins and to be cleansed, to be redeemed before the Lord. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do as he accomplished that through the cross, to be forgiven of sins. You know, this is why the, the, the prosperity gospel is, is so appalling. And it, it, is, it is so outright evil. Because it, it, it teaches this, this 
false gospel, this false teaching that in this life, that in the flesh now and today is where you can find your best life. And that best life is, is interpreted as your wealth, it is interpreted as your success, it is interpreted as your popularity and how people like you and the power you have and the authority you have, that your best life is to be lived here now, to gain every worldly blessing and to gain happiness now. And if you're not happy, then you're faithless. It never addresses sin. It never addresses for our greatest need, our sins before God. And that's why it is so appalling. Because the purpose Jesus came was for our forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. And the, the prosperity gospel then just takes Jesus and turns him into the, 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 the means to gain those good things in life, they say. The forgiveness of sins is, is not about making ourselves feel better about ourselves. Now, now, now that gets a lot closer to home to us. We, we, can, we can kick the prosperity gospel people. That's not, we can do that. But that idea gets a lot closer to us because we think the forgiveness of sins is about making us feel better about ourselves. Oh, no, brothers and sisters. The forgiveness of sin is about reconciliation between you and God. It's reconciliation between you and God because we were rebellious sinners that shook our fists before the Lord. We walked in sin as dirty as the leper, paralyzed by sin like the paralytic, broken by this world in need of God's grace. Now in turn, there is absolute joy in knowing that you have been forgiven, isn't there? There is such joy. There is such peace in knowing that the rotten things that I've done and the rotten things I'm probably going to do, that the cross was more than enough. That it meets all of those and that I am forgiven before God. So first and foremost, our passage this morning shows us our fundamental need that we all need the forgiveness of our sins. Number two, only Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. I want you to take note, and this is very important, that Jesus does in this passage what the high priests and the teachers of the law could not. Not the high priests, there's no high priest there, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law could not. Right? They, they, could, do, they could do absolutely nothing for this guy. They, couldn't, they can't forgive sins. They cannot heal him. And Jesus does both. Jesus does both. Now the Pharisees asked a, very particular, a real peculiar question. They asked the question. They said, they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? That was when their minds. That's what they were thinking. And, and what we will take notice in throughout Luke, that, that, that Luke loves those who questions. You ask that question, who is Jesus? He jumps right on it. Like he, he's like, oh, you want to know? I'm going to tell you. This is Jesus. And so they, they ask this question in, in, their, in their doubts, in their anger. And as they were stumbling and fumbling and bumbling, they came to one of the most important questions of all time. Who alone can forgive sins but God? 
What a great question. Now we, we forgive sins. We forgive the sins of one another when we are sinned against. In fact, we're obligated to forgive the sins of one another. We, we walk in forgiveness together, don't we? That's one of the, that's one of the marks of the church is we, we forgive one another. Excuse me, we forgive one another. We give grace to one another. And the reason why we do that is because we know we're going to mess up towards one another. If I haven't offended you yet, it's coming. Same thing with you, to me. But isn't it the most beautiful works of the gospel when we can ask for and receive forgiveness as a regular part of doing life together? It's what it means to be in community together. It means, it's what it means to love one another. It's what it means to submit to one another. It's what it means to, to bear with one another. And we walk in forgiveness and grace toward one another. But when we forgive one another, that doesn't mean you are pronouncing the forgiveness of God over someone. Right? It means you're pronouncing forgiveness over, from you. That I forgive you. And, and what that should turn to is, I forgive you because how the Lord has forgiven me. How could I hold this anything against you? So, so no man can do that. So, so the question that these guys are asking is right. They're, they're not wrong in, in, in asking this question. And they, they pick up on what Jesus said when, when he said, man, I forgive you. And when he picks up his mat and he walks out after Jesus heals the guy. This is what Jesus is doing. This is Jesus saying, I, I healed this guy. I'm healing this guy, not just, so, not just because this guy needs to be, be healed, but I want you to know. I want you to know by the same power and the authority that I have over, over the, the effects of sin that brought this man into the condition that he is, whether it's the, the effects of sin over his own personal consequences or just the fall of, over man, I have the same authority to forgive your sins. And so when I say pick up your mat and walk out or man, your sins are forgiven, that our sins are truly forgiven. That's what Jesus is telling us. Yes, that's me. Hi. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus says that your sins are forgiven and you are cleansed, you can take that to the bank. I don't know if they would care, but that's the truth. Are you walking in guilt and shame? Come to Jesus. You notice how Jesus doesn't interrogate this guy? Do you notice that? He doesn't look at him and say, all right, confess. I know you did it. No. He sees his faith. He sees his, he sees his faith, and in his faith he forgives. And brothers and sisters, that's the freedom and love that we walk in. That's the grace that we walk in. We walk in a grace that's, that doesn't hold over us our wrongs. It's like the, the song we sang, right? His mercy is more. He has cast it from as far as the east is to the west. There's no, there's, no, there's no ocean that can contain it. It's gone. It's been forgiven in Christ because of His perfect work on the cross to atone for our sins and to wipe them away forever. And we are not just forgiven of our past sins, but we are forgiven of our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins if you are in Christ. 
So we walk in forgiveness. And we walk in freedom. And this is one of the beautiful realities of this passage. That we no longer have to lay down on the mat. We no longer have to lay down in shame and, and guilt and fear to come to the Master, to come to our Savior, to come to our Rescuer who has already rescued us. Maybe this morning you've come in here beaten up. You've come in here with your stains of sin. Brothers and sisters, you do not have to hide from Jesus. You could come to Him. You could put your faith in His authority and power to forgive your sins. Your greatest need has already been met. It's done. It's finished. The third thing that we, we need to see in this passage, so the first is fundamentally our greatest need that we, um, that we need the forgiveness of sin. Secondly, Jesus has the power and authority to forgive our sins, but that power and authority to forgive our sins is because He is God. Because He is God. That's what Luke wants us to see here. Another thing, he wants us to see that that power and authority is not just because he's, a pro- he's not a prophet, and he's not just another man, he is God in the flesh. That God became man and dwelt among us. And the way we're going to see this is by looking at verse 24. Look at verse 24 in your Bibles, and look how Jesus refers to himself. When Jesus refers to himself in the third person, uh, uh, I think most of the time, like 90-something percent of the time, he calls himself the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man. In fact, in, in, in Luke, we're going to see it 26 times. Jesus, is, Jesus uses that title to speak of himself throughout the Gospel 81 times, the Son of Man. This is something we need to know then, right? What does this mean? What does this mean? seems to me I would rather, would have, you know, would have been easier just to call himself the Son of God. Right? That makes more sense to me as a Gentile. <laughs> but as an Israelite of the Old Testament, or in this day and age, in the first century, Son of Man spoke volumes. And we have to look to uh, Daniel chapter 7 to see this idea of what is the Son of Man. What is he talking about here? You have to turn to Daniel chapter 7. So in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the prophet Daniel says that he sees a vision. And of this, in this vision, he sees... He sees God on his throne. In fact, he doesn't say God. He sees a vision and he calls him the Ancient of Days. We used to have a song that had that Ancient of Days, right? You remember, remember that old school song, the Ancient of Days? I was wondering, what does that mean? Right here it is, Daniel chapter 7. It means he is, he is the one who is before time. He is the, the Alpha and the Omega. He has always been, he has always existed. And so he sees the Ancient of Days on his throne. And in this scenario, he doesn't just see God, but he sees, he sees someone else approaching that throne. And he says, someone like the Son of Man. Daniel calls, whoever's approaching the throne, he says, this is the Son of Man. Someone like the Son of Man. And if you if you've turn there, you can look to verse 14, but they'll put it up on the screen for you. Verse 14 of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. He says this, look, look what he says here. Because, because the Ancient of Days gives something to the Son of Man. Look what it says there. It says, And to him was given what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in His kingdom, the one that shall not be destroyed. Who is that? It's Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus is given this authority. He's given this dominion. Why? Because He is God's Son. He is the Son of Man. And when Jesus says, says, I want you to know that I am the Son of Man, He says, that's me. The Son of Man is here. That's what they were thinking. When they see that, when they see that verse, that, or when they hear Him say, that's what they're thinking. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in that room, and Jesus declares Himself to be the Son of Man, and then He proves it by the healing of this guy. Of all people. I mean, it's hard for me to fathom this hardness of heart, but I know sin. But of all people, they should have fell on their knees and exalted Him. Exalted Him and crying out in glory and worship because the Son of God, the Messiah, has, he is here. Recalling verses like Isaiah 61, saying this is Him, He's doing it right now in front of us. Of all people, they should see Him. But brothers and sisters, just as we saw before, just because you know your Bibles does not mean you're going to see Jesus. I mean, isn't this stunning? It's stunning. I mean, I mean, in comparison, I had a hard time making the comparison that these guys didn't worship, and yet Peter, the fisherman, dropped to his knees when Jesus just busted his nets with fish. The leper begged Jesus, fell on his knees and, and begged Jesus to heal him, to cleanse him. And just like that, the guys today, desperately trying to get Jesus to see this guy. And here's the big problem. Here's the big difference, right, which answers our question from the very, very beginning, which helps us answer this question. Right? What Luke wants us to see, what the Scripture wants us to see, what the Son of God what is revealed about in the Holy Spirit is, is to try and teach us this morning through this, through this Word, is that the Pharisees could not see their need. I don't need him. I'm not that guy. And when you cannot see your need, you only see your self-righteousness. And they could not see how much they needed Jesus and how much they needed the forgiveness of sin. And so they sat there in condemnation right in front of Jesus. Regardless of who we are, as we close this morning, regardless of who we are, every single one of us here, we stand in desperate need of Jesus and His forgiveness of sin. He is the only one that can forgive our sins. We cannot clean up the mess that we have made. We cannot do it. We, we can try, and we have desperately tried. We tried to do it in our external moral conformity. We tried to do it by coming to church. We tried to do it through religious works. You cannot clean yourself up on your own. But He can. And He does. 
I mean, isn't that the merciful? I mean, isn't that amazing to see? Those who come before Jesus broken like these guys, he never turns away. He never, he never turns away. And when he forgives, he forgives to the, to the uttermost. But if we think that we don't need him, if you, if you think that you do not need him, or you're just indifferent to this whole idea of being forgiveness, of, that you need your sins forgiven, then let me just warn you that you have no other hope than him. You cannot be your own hope. We can only come to Jesus like we saw in over our passages over these last couple weeks in desperate need and brokenness. Maybe you're thinking this morning that if, if Jesus really knew you, which, by the way, he does, or if we really knew you, no one would forgive you, or he couldn't forgive you. And yet I would tell you as Luke, I'll tell you as Luke, and as I think the Holy Spirit again is telling us, is that there is no sin out of the reach of the forgiveness of God. That's the, look at the extent that we see in these other guys, the leper and the paralytic. We have hope. Another thing I want us to see, and just real basic application here, is that as Christians, as the church, that we are the only people of this fallen world who know and recognize that we need forgiveness of sin, and we're totally cool with it. We're, we're totally cool with it. In fact, we welcome it. We know we need it. We're humble to, to know that we need it. This, this world, the philosophy of this world teaches that everybody's good, don't they? Nobody needs forgiveness. In fact, everybody's perfect. Isn't that the teaching? Isn't that what our world teaches? And if there is something wrong, then it's probably someone else's fault or you just need to get some adjustments in your life. Go to the bookstore. You'll find it full of those self-helps. And yet our greatest need is that we need forgiveness. And as the church, we realize that. We're weird. We're weird. Yet it is the glory of Christ. And it is to the glory of God that we go to Him for forgiveness. And we can walk in forgiveness today. And we can walk in forgiveness for the rest of our life. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. We are thankful for how You have so greatly and richly have forgiven us in Christ. I pray this morning that you would continue to teach us, show us, draw us, woo us to the very fact of the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross. And we have been forgiven. Help us always turn to our Savior. Help us as we respond together. May we be encouraging to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.